What is it that makes us different? What, what is that? What is it that we're wanting to be different from? Two weeks ago, we talked about it's standing not just for something, but for someone. Standing for Christ. And then last week, we looked at being different means that we pray trusting in the God that we're talking to and what we pray for and when we pray. Well, today I want you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. October is Pastor Appreciation Month. I told Becky, I said, you know, I, I feel like uh, someone whose birthday is on Christmas. My birthday is uh, during October uh, this past week. Boss's day is next week. And then it's Pastor Appreciation. I said, now I know how people who have birthdays on Christmas feel. And it's all grouped up. But the cards, and no matter what happens, those cards that you precious children uh, wrote to me that's all over my desk, the beautiful uh, drawings and your name on the bottom and seeing your personalities on those pages, that, that means so much to me and in so many other ways, the kind words and the hugs and the text and the calls and, and the gifts, they mean so much. So I just thought, when do you have church appreciation? Uh, the older I get, the more I realize I'm not a prima donna. And shouldn't be. And the more I realize how much I ought to be thankful for. And those that encourage. And, but you know, I can't give all of you a $100 gift card. Because uh, Becky said so. And I can't afford it. But I hope in this message that I can give you something that Peter said was worth more than silver and gold. And that's the truth of God's love. You have loved me and my family for almost six years now. Wow. Six years, January 1st. You've been loving Ryan and Kara for two years. Last Wednesday was a week ago two-year anniversary that they've been ministering. And Ryan, I love you. I appreciate you. Appreciate your encouragement, your support, and all you do. Michelle, I appreciate your ministry. I know it says pastor. Some say clergy. But uh, ministerially speaking, I appreciate all of you Sunday school teachers, you deacons. But even though you told me to leave the deacons meeting Tuesday night, I still appreciate you. They... They, they informed me it was good, it wasn't bad, because I told them, last thing I said was, hey, whatever you do, I've, I've got a kid in college, okay? <laughs> and, uh, but I appreciate you, Ben, I appreciate you and all that you do for me as a friend, willing to go on a mission trip, to encourage and accompany me and coming by the office, guys, and take me to lunch and family, uh, friends that love on my family and on my children, there are no words 
except for God's Word. And so this morning, as we have looked at how we must stand and how we must pray, today I simply want to look at how we must love. Love. Probably the most misunderstood, misconstrued word in the English language. Remember the first time you come home and you said, oh, mama, I love him. You don't even remember his name now. Well, you got me. Uh, man, I love to go hunting. Man, I love shopping. Man, I love to go to the beach. All the things we say we love that are just things. Things that come and go. But there is a love that outlasts them all. He said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, Beloved, John is writing to Christians, but may you hear me tell you these words from my heart this morning. My dearly beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knows not God. For God is love. Well, let's begin at the beginning. What is love? Man, that word thrown around, we hear it in movies. I mean, I, I think of the old Beatles song, All You Need Is Love. And we see it in books. We, we read about it. We hear about it. We talk about it. But what is it really? And I don't want to get into a grammatical uh, exploration, but the truth is, that love is not simply affection. It's not the emotional feeling that we have. Even though we do experience that in the midst of true love. Listen, when God gets a hold of you and you understand the depth of his love, it's got to come out of you somewhere. If he's in you, he's going to come out somewhere. It may come out with a big, beautiful smile. It may come out uh, almost with a, a silly giggle. It may come out with tears leaking out your face. But the truth is, love is action. In the original language, in the Koine Greek, the word love is found four different ways. First of all, the one that we're, we're pretty common with, phileo love. Uh, when, you, when you see like the city Philadelphia, which is found in the Bible, uh, not just in Pennsylvania, it literally means city of brotherly love. The Greek word phileo simply means a friendship kind of love, a brotherly kind of love, not just a sibling love, but a very close-knit love 
of friends. And then there's storge, which means a family affection, love for one another in the family, love for our brothers and our sisters, uh, not just in Christ, but in our earthly families, love for our children, love for our spouses. And I have often heard mothers speak of their children or their world. Let me tell you something. If your children are your world, then you have misdirected what your world should be. For your children are temporal, much like this world. But a God, listen, you, you think that's the way you really can love. But I'm going to tell you, when you put God first and you love God and God is your world and God is your eternity, you'll love your children like you never thought you could love them. Storge is that family affection. And then there is eros, what we take our English word erotic. It is the sensual or physical type of love. But then there is the one that is found in this text. God is love. And I've said it before, but I must repeat this. It is so vitally important, you see. We can love one another, but what we are doing is we're doing something. We're showing an action. Real love, we, we show it. We, we hug. We go out of our way to, to minister or to tend to someone. That's loving someone. But God doesn't just do love. God is the very essence of love. You see, we may have a slice of love for our spouse. We have a slice of what love is for our children. We have a slice of love for our church and for our community. But God is the whole. God is love. And all of our love is a derivative of his love. May I say from the very beginning, if you are lost, you may have an affection but you do not know what real love is. It's very clear. He says, if you don't know God, you don't know love. He tells us very clearly, he that loves not knows not God, for God is love. You see, love is the very character of God. Our God is a God of love. There are those, and I want to be very clear here. When the pendulum swings too far to the right and we simply focus on the holiness of God in the sense of God as righteous judge with a rod of iron and these big burly eyebrows looking down over his glasses at us just waiting for us to mess up, that's not the full picture of who God is. Now, let me say, God is holy. And if you think you can just say, and this is where the pendulum swings the other way, and say, well, but God loves everybody, and God loves everything. God does love everybody. He doesn't love everything. There is a righteous indignation. Let me, let me make something very clear. God calls us to love all people. He does not call us to accept their actions. He does not call us to condone what they're doing. Now, 
the leftists and those who say you Christians are judgmental and critical. Yes, some of us are. But the truth is, you have misconstrued our stand for a holy God with judgment of your sin. God judged your sin, not me. It's still sin, though. And we're not to condemn, uh, uh, to condemn, nor are we to condone. We are to love those so that they may see that Christ died for that sin. You can't live any kind of way you want and say, well, God loves me. For that righteous side of God comes in. So we must understand the fullness of the character and the immutability of God. But we see the very character of God in love in the example of the Son of God. John 3.16 tells us what? For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Listen to what 1 John 3 Verse 1 says, behold, he's literally screaming at the top of his lungs, look, look, behold, look at what manner of love the Father hath bestowed. That means richly endowed upon us. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew him not. You see, the very character of God being loved and exemplified in the Son of God was done so in a living love, a dying love, and a resurrected love that sits at the right hand of the Father and through His eternal love for us, He makes intercession to the Father. Do you know when you prayed this morning, God heard your prayers if you're a believer because God loves you. And because he so loved you, he sent his son. It wasn't just to save you, but to sanctify you. That's what real love is. There's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. What does that mean? That God looks the other way when we sin? No! But it does mean that the covering, cleansing grace of an almighty God is eternal. And even though we mess up in the flesh, our spirit is sealed and protected. By the love of God. As a believer, there's nowhere you can go outside the grace of God. But can I say, if you continually are running to the world, you may want to check up and see if you ever got in the grace of God to start with. There's a lot of people who have told themselves a lie so long, they believe it. They have told themselves, God loves me, so I'm okay. Nothing can be further from the truth. For if God loved you, how do we say God loves us? How, what's, the, what's the true example of God's love? Tell me. He sent his only begotten son. Well, let me ask you something. If, if God just loves you so you're okay, then why did he send his son to die on the cross? To show us that we're unlovable. That we cannot experience the love of God until we experience his example. Experience the very son of God dying for our sins. Suffering at the hands 
of friends. Church, that's what real love is. For God is love. So now that we know what, y'all good with that? Y'all know what love is? If I gave you a pop quiz next week and I said define love, you'll be able to do it, right? Okay. So now, number two. How should we love? Based on this example, based on this definition, how should we love? I want you to turn with me in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Y'all ready for this? Because this is where we live. Jesus died 2,000 years ago. We believe that. We trust that. But what about today? What about when people offend us today? What about when people cut us off in traffic today? What about when somebody badmouths our family member? What do we do about that today? What do we do in the face of perceived attacks? How should we love? He said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43, 44. You've heard that it has been said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Y'all hear me? Love your enemies. It's hard, isn't it? Thank you. I mean, really, come on. Let, let's, can we put off all the propensities for we're in charge. Can we just lay aside all that for a minute and be real frank and honest before God? There are people that's really hard to love. I've told you the story. I had a neighbor. I, I literally went before God and I said, God, I cannot love him unless you love him through me. Can't do it. I've had bosses. I've had supervisors who'd cuss me, act ugly, mistreat, uh, listen, and then come back at the end of the shift and say, hey, buddy, I need you to come. And it was always me that'd come back and get, and I'd end up having to do, you ever felt like you're always the target? You always end up being the one that gets picked on. You're the one that gets, uh, have to do all the dirty work. We all have enemies. Can I tell you this morning as I was preparing this message, I had to call out some names before God and ask God to help me love them. Can I also say one of them ain't even living anymore? And can I also say all of them have been in churches that I pastored? They took me out to eat, played golf with me. Worship with me. Ones that I have sensed and perceived as attacks on me. It's often been said, you know, hold your enemy, uh, your friends close and your enemies closer. Because it, it seems like those who you're closest to stick you the deepest, doesn't it? It's because we're more vulnerable. Well, those we're close to. But what about 
this whole idea. He said, it's been said, love your neighbors, hate your enemies. What did Jesus say? He said, love your enemies. Bless. Well, God, I ain't got to like them, but I love them. I ain't talking to them, and I'm going to pass and repass. He said, bless them. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You go to try to pray God's blessing on someone that is your enemy, you'll either get right or get wrong because you can't stay the same and be honest with God and pray God's blessings on your enemy. Bless it. I haven't seen the clip, and please, I don't want, to, I don't want this to devolve. I wasn't even going to talk about any of this kind of stuff, but I think it's a perfect example. It has nothing to do with who you go for or anything else. But Clemson got knocked off by an unrated team, unranked team. And after the game, I know I've been on both sides of this thing. I've been in them locker rooms where it's yelling and screaming and crying and, and happy and sad and every other. The defending national championship team, the defending national champion coach, with the number two ranked team in the country, got knocked off by an unranked team. And you know what he did? I don't know what he said to his team. I do know what he said to the team that defeated him. He went in their locker room, absolutely unheard of. Goes against every rule in sports. He went into Syracuse locker room and congratulated every one of them for the great game they played and told them what a wonderful job they did and they deserved it. He blessed his enemies, didn't he? It may cost him a ring. And I don't know if you understand the way that co coaches' contracts are drawn up. I know in the past, for coaches like that, they get these absurd salaries. But beyond that, they get bonuses. They get bonuses if they win their conference. They get bonuses if they go to the playoffs. And they get bonuses if they win the championship. And if they go through all three of those steps, those bonuses usually add up to around $2 million just for the bonuses. Syracuse may have cost him a, million, a couple million dollars in that one game. Say, yeah, but it was his players' fault. Listen, wh whoever's fault it was, Dabo Sweeney, a professing servant of the Most High God, went into that enemy's den and blessed him. How many of us do? I don't. Can I tell you? We've, we've suffered at the hands of that this year as a coach. I don't know if I could have went over to any of those locker rooms and said that. I really don't. So, but he's already got a ring. Listen, people who get rings want more rings. Ask my wife. <laughs> Am I lying? Am I lying? How should we live? Should we live? Should we lo uh, love? Should we love just when it's convenient? Can I tell you, it's, a, it's easy to love y'all. It's easy to love y'all. I mean, when you hug my neck and you send me text and 
give me pastor appreciation gifts and there's a chocolate covered donut on my desk? How, how easy is it to love people like that? But what about the anonymous letters? Which, by the way, I've not received any and don't get any ideas. Because I'm, I'm going on a streak now for several years. D.L. Moody got a, an anonymous letter one time. And he was sitting there and he opened it up after a big meeting. And he's reading this anonymous letter. And one of his close confidants is in there. One of the, his uh, entourage and says, well, uh, Dr. Moody... Who, who sent it? He said, well, he said, my dear brother, it's the first time I've ever received an anonymous letter that was signed. He said, really? They, they actually signed it? He said, yes, look. And it said, dear Mr. Moody, you're one of the worst preachers I've ever heard. Everything you said is ridiculous, redundant, and utterly Ridiculous. And at the bottom it just said, fool. <laughs> it was meant to call him one, but he said, well, apparently they signed their own letter. <laughs> the truth is, it's, it's easy to love people who write you a little card and says, I, I just want to take a minute to tell you that I love you. It's easy to love people who put this in recognition of my family. You make it easy to love you. But what about those who despitefully use me? Those who attack me for standing for what is right? How do I love them? How do I bless them? Do I just love when it's convenient? If you do, your marriage won't last long, will it? Huh? You're going to tell me your spouse is lovable all the time. Thank you. Look, I'm very secure. I know I'm not lovable all the time. And I see Becky saying amen and Joe Willen saying absolutely and Michelle saying amen preacher that's the biggest truth you ever preached. <laughs> Some days I'm just not lovable. But Christ still loves us, don't he? He still loves us. He loves us in spite of ourselves. I had, a, I had a deacon pray that over me one Sunday. He said, Lord, bless Brother Matt in spite of himself. That'll bless your heart right there. <laughs> it's not just when it's convenient. Listen, we love consciously. And I teach this in every premarital class I teach. That loving someone is not based on the emotional, affectionate, Act, uh, 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 feelings of our life, it's based on a conscious Holy Spirit directed action. Because listen, how do we respond under perceived attack? We're either going to respond unconsciously out of the flesh and said, tit for tat, eye for an eye, and we're going to react. 
But in love, God breaks the law of the physics of the attack. We don't react out of the flesh. We react out of the spirit when we love our enemies. We respond consciously. That means the Holy Spirit controls us. Why do you think Paul said, walk after the spirit, not after the flesh? I don't know if you've read the New Testament and the Pauline epistles, but Paul frequently was angered. Paul was frequently angered. I worked at the largest church in Atlanta for a couple years. And the greatest grace preacher still living today was the pastor. And at the time I was, when I first started there, I worked in the garage. I worked on all the church vans. We worked on uh, people's cars in the church that may, couldn't have afforded to have their cars worked on. We did all that. And one night, this pastor brought his car down there, and someone had wrote, wash me on this white Mercedes that had become covered in dust enough. They wrote, wash me. Well, he was not happy. And so I washed his car, cleaned it all up, fixed it all up, polished it all up. Look, I mean, shining. I don't know if it was a month, two months later, he come down, he was absolutely furious. And I'm talking about sweet, sweet, you know who I'm talking about. I thought he was going to curse for a minute. I don't know what kind of vandals and... I said, Doc, I'll get it took care of. We all get angry at things. We all get tore up at things. Listen, if we do not take a deep breath, we will end up doing something we regret, right? So we must let the Holy Spirit control us. Do you understand that the first missionary team split because they had a disagreement among one another? Paul got mad because John Mark left. Barnabas wanted to bring him back. He said, he'll be all right. Paul said, I will not go with a deserter. And so Paul got Silas and left, and Barnabas and John Mark went a different way. They loved one another through it and forgave one another, and the gospel was proliferated. Listen, a conscious Holy Ghost-controlled love, number one, will be respectful. Look back in 1 John 411. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. It'll be a respectful love. This stuff going on in the world today, there's nothing respectful about it. Can I tell you, having a right to do something doesn't mean you always ought to do it. I don't agree with a lot of that leftist stuff and they're screaming this and screaming that. I believe in the freedom of speech, but I'm going to tell you something. Freedom of speech stops when it becomes harmful and hateful to others. That's the law. We just don't enforce the law anymore. And that goes on both sides. That goes from the so-called church at Westboro who holds up signs, and they've pretty much been disintegrated, but would try to picket a fallen soldier's funeral and say, 
God did this and God did that because God hates you and God. I'm going to tell you something. God ain't within a thousand miles of that business. Church, love is respectful. It's respectful. Love is sacrificial. I'm going to tell you, you say, I love them. Have you ever went out of your way and gave up something for them? When you get home after a long day, okay, hard day, and all you want to do is retire for the evening. Y'all ever been there? And your spouse or your child says, Mama, there's no mac and cheese. <laughs> uh, baby, there's no Diet Coke. <laughs> baby, I don't feel good. Will you go get me a ginger ale? You go. You just you go. We have no milk. Okay. And I'm not talking about getting it on your way home. That's not sacrificial. Sacrificial is getting up out of your chair, having to put your shoes back on to go to the Dollar General, get you a gallon of milk. That's sacrificial. Sacrificial is giving up a weekend trip because someone needs you. Sacrificial is spending the money you were saving for something to help someone that God told you to help. That's sacrificial love. Do y'all understand that when we give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, when you give your offering to the church, you are giving sacrificially. Now, you're being obedient if you give tithe. Now, if you, if you throw a $5 bill in there every three or four weeks, you ain't doing diddly. I'm, I'm just telling you, unless you make $50 a week, you ain't doing nothing. You ain't helping the kingdom of God. All you're doing is soothing your own conscience. And the truth is, in your head and your spirit, you know you're ripping God off. God said so. But if you're giving of your tithe and you're giving to the Lottie Moon, you're, get, you're, buy, you're paying $350 for a cake. And can I tell you, Vidine ain't here. But I'm going to tell you, if they, yeah, there she is. If there's any cake worth $350, it's that hummingbird cake. But I love that cake. It's not worth $350. Me and you spent a lot of money on some cakes last couple of years. They ain't never one of them worth $350. In the sense of how much it costs to make it, I don't care, but it was made with love. Well, I'm going to tell you something. They ain't $350 worth of love and no cake. And I love cake. But it is worth it in the fact that $350 for that cake paid for one student to go sit under the gospel for a whole week of summer camp. And some of them prayed to receive Christ that week. Now, was it worth it? You better believe it was. Every cent. That's sacrificial. 
Those of you who thought, what am I doing? I just left with three cakes and spent $600? Really? What was I thinking? Oh, why did I volunteer to help with this hoedown? Why in the world am I working in Bible school? Because you love. Don't ever resent sacrificial love. And that's where, that's the essence of who God is. Because why did we say, who did we say is the perfect example? The sacrifice of the Lamb of God. Do you know when we read Romans 12, when he tells us that we are to offer our bodies a living sacrifice, it doesn't mean just to serve, it means to give, it means to love others. That's what a living sacrifice is. Jesus was the dying sacrifice. We are the living sacrifice. It's respectful. It's sacrificial. And it's helpful. He said in verse 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear hath torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. It will be helpful. It will not tear down. It will build up. Because it's Holy Ghost controlled. Real love loves consistently. He tells us in the great love chapter. And if you're here and I officiated your wedding, I read this text at your wedding. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. Love suffers long. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love vaunteth not itself. Love is not puffed up. It does not behave itself unseemly. Love does not seek its own, is not easily provoked. It does not think evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never Hairlines fail. Physique fails. You know, before, after, before, after. The taut skin fails. The smooth complexion fails. The eyesight fails. Love never fails. My mother's parents were married 70 years. My grandmother led my grandfather to the Lord after they were married. My grandfather was 90 years old when he went to glory in 2004. My grandmother never slept in her bed again. To the day she died, two and a half years later at the age of 90. They tried to get her to go back to bed. She slept in her chair, sitting up. She'd recline. It was one of those medical chairs, you know. She said, I just cannot stand the thought of getting back in the bed I shared with my husband of 70 years. I believe I'll just sleep right here in the chair. Until I see him again. 
And in June of 2007, we were in San Antonio for the Southern Baptist Convention on Friday morning. About 6 a.m., my middle brother called me. He said, Matt, and in his voice, I said, Mama Gigger died, didn't she? He said, yep. I said, well, she was ready. And she's with Daddy Gigger. I drove home. I didn't shed a tear. Drove 1,000 miles home. Got up and preached the next morning for Father's Day. Drove that night back home, funeral home that night, funeral the next day, and rejoiced in the testimony that love, the love of God for my grandmother, the love of God for my grandfather, and the love that they had for one another in Christ Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, never fails. Love never fails. Don't look at me and say, preacher, you just don't understand. I just can't love them anymore. That's not biblical, church. Everything about this message says you are thinking with your flesh. You are perceiving that attack and you can't get over it. Jesus, nailed to the cross, forgave it before it ever happened. It's loving consistently. It's loving constantly. That's hard. Loving constantly is as hard as loving consistently. Loving consistently says we love them red, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in His sight. We love them when they're old. We love them when they're young. Uh, Listen, we have a bad habit. I told somebody the other night, I'm standing on the football field. We're warming up, and they're playing all that stuff. And I looked over to another coach. I said, if I never hear another rap song, as long as I live, it'll be too soon. But you know what? My daddy wasn't real hip on Molly Hatchet, Ted Nugent, Leonard Skinner. <laughs> and my daddy probably said something like this. If I don't have to listen to that racket, rock and roll stuff anymore, it'll be too soon. And listen, all you young bucks, you're going to say the same thing one day. It just scares me what's going to come after this. Lord, if we have some kind of flock of seagull revival, the world will be ending. We've got to live and love constantly. When you don't feel like it, when you're having a bad day, when the world's coming against you, love. You want to overcome the world? You want to overwhelm? Love. It's the love of Jesus. It is the unadulterated love of God. That can fix all ills. It can fix a marriage. It can fix a broken life. It can fix a drug addict. It can fix anything if we would love like God loves. So based on that, who do we love? Well, he said, love the ones you like. But love the ones you don't. He said once again in 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. So when you're standing in the end zone at the Georgia Southern game like Andrew and I were last night, and some... whatever he was... 
Didn't like what was going on, and he done had him a few. Goes to dropping every kind of bomb you can imagine at the referee over your shoulder. Me and Andrew's like, let's move over here so they don't think it's us. Andrew literally looked at me. He said, I hate drunk fans. I said, you and me both. But you know what? I don't have to smile and look at him and say, Jesus loves you. But I need to never go over the edge. I need to hate the sin and love the sinner. Because listen, when they start all that business, when you go to the mall and their pants are hanging down and their hair is mohawked up and pink, with 17 earrings and a chain hanging out their nose. And they look like they fell in a tackle box. There was a guy that did, me and Becky, when we built our last house, the guy that did all of our concrete work, that's what they called him, tackle box. That was his name. They called him tackle box. He had so many piercings and chains and everything. Greatest guy you'd ever want to meet, I'm telling you. And it taught me, just like in, in some of the other, listen, you can be tatted up from the top to bottom, tat, I mean, everything else, you could have been a serial killer, but the truth is, God so loved the world that he sent his son to die for that person that you're looking at and thinking, what do they do? Oh, and as we're walking out of the game, and we're walking by, and it, some young girl about, she wasn't old enough to be drinking, that was drinking. And she dropped a couple of those expletives right together. And the first thing out of my mouth, I said, boy, her mama sure must be proud. But you know the truth is, her mama may be at home broken and praying for her daughter. I've literally asked them, I said, you kiss your mama that mouth? How, I mean, do you, do you eat and talk with that same garbage mouth? But the truth is, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what they're trying to say is, I need Jesus. Start reading the signs, church. Don't look on the superficial outer crust and look past it and see it as a cry for help. People are screaming, tell me. Tell me there's hope. Tell me there's something in such a lost, dark, broken world. Listen, I am convinced. Emily come home one time and said, oh, Daddy, she's a homosexual. I said, Baby, I know what you're saying, but no, she's not. She said, Yeah, Daddy, she is. She tells. I said, No, you don't understand. There is no such thing as a homosexual. There are people who think they are. Because they're looking for acceptance and looking to fit in. The truth is, God's never made a homosexual. Therefore, there are no homosexuals. Only people who act like a homosexual. God created us to be heterosexuals. And God created us to love as he told us to love. He said, husbands, love your wives. Your female wife, God, made a woman for a man. For them to procreate and to love their children and their children's children. 
God made it that way. But listen, I want you to hear me loud and clear. That sin is an abomination before God. But they need Jesus. And God loves them just like he loves me. That's real love, church. You say, I don't care what you say. I ain't listening. I ain't going for all that. Man, I don't believe in all that interracial marriage, that homosexual marriage, them drug addicts. Listen, stop with what you've been taught, what you heard your daddy and your uncle talk about out in the yard, and get your nose in the Bible and get your heart right with God and understand we're to love as Christ loves, not what mom and daddy said. Unless your mom and daddy lived the exemplary life of loving all for the love of Jesus Christ. But listen, it's not accepting sin. We don't accept sin, okay? The minute you start accepting sin in someone else's life is the day you'll start accepting it in yours. And once you've capitulated, it's hard to come back. It's hard to come back. So we must live and love others. We must love the church. He said, look, Verse 20 and 21, if a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. He that loves not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loves God loves his brother also. We ought to love the church. We ought to love the church. He said in verse 14, and we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Verse 16, we know, we, we have known and believe the love that God hath to us. God is love and he that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. We are to love our enemies. We are to love the church. We are to love the lost. Christ said, I have come To save the lost. I have come as a physician to those who are sick. For those who are not sick does not need a doctor. But he said, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. And the only way he can save them is to love them. And why do we love God? Because he said in this chapter, he first loved us. That's who we're to love. But then, when do we love? It's easy to say. Anytime. All the time. We forget when we're in front of the TV. We forget when we're at the ball game. We forget when we're at work. But if we are walking in the Spirit, walking in Christ as Christ is in us, we're loving others as Christ loved us, for God loved us, for Christ's sake, when do we love? We need to love when it's easy. Penny, you make it easy to love you. Because you love me. Yeah, I mean, it's true. Bridget, you make it easy to love you. Timmy, you make it easy to love you. I mean, you just do. Cadence, you make it real easy to love you. When you, you look for you hug me when I come, you make it easy. You make it easy. But you know what? There's people in my life, they don't make it so easy. They don't make it so easy. Standoffish, you know, just kind of, hmm, you know. Pass and repass kind of deal. 
But you know what? God didn't call Christians to pass and repass. God called us to change the culture. God called us to change the world. God called us to be salt and light in a dark, tasteless world. And how do we do it? With the love of God. Love them. I'm going to tell you, love them. It'll drive them insane or drive them to the cross. Either way, love them. You see, just, I'm sorry, I can't love them. Well, then you can't love God. And you need to be the first one in this altar and pray. Listen, I know the feeling. Just come and tell God. He knows. And pray, God, help me. Help me to love those which are not lovable. Love when it's easy. Love when it's hard. Love when you're happy. Love when you're happy. Love when you're sad. Love when you feel rejected. I have no doubt in my mind when Paul stood in front of Felix, Agrippa, and ultimately Caesar, Paul loved them. I love that scripture said, in having love for them, he loved them till the end. Love when you're rejected. Love when you're tired. That's when it's real easy to snap, isn't it? Say something curt and caustic. Well, I'm just tired. We make excuses. Well, you're just going to have to forgive me. No. No, stop making excuses and love. Love when it's inconvenient. Love when you're rejoicing. Love when you're broken. Love when you're offended. Love when you're being loved. Love with the love of Jesus Christ. Because listen to me, church. When the dust settles and the last battle has been finished, all of life is over. Love wins. Love wins. They come to the instruments. You've got to ask yourself, am I allowing God to love me? Because there is no way you can love others until you accept the love of God. And by the way, you've got to love yourself. Not in an arrogant, egotistical way, but love yourself enough to allow God to forgive you, to make you, to mold you, and to be what he's called you to be. To understand God's got a special calling for your life. Love yourself, but in so doing, love others that God may use that love. And every day of our lives, when the sun comes up and the sun goes down, having lived our life we lived it well so that they could kind of sing that old song oh how they love Jesus oh how they love Jesus oh how they love Jesus because he first loved me do you love Jesus today because he does love you See, preacher, you don't know what I've done. I don't have to. I know what I've done, and he still loves me. And he loves you. 
You say, I'm having a rough time loving somebody right now. Give it to Jesus. Give it to Jesus. The guy that wrote this, if there was ever a calling for someone to do it, it was him. Because you know what his title was? The Beloved. He understood something about love. He'd lay his head on Jesus' breast. When's the last time you just laid your head on the Lord's shoulder and said, Lord, I need you. Oh, how I need you. That I may love others as you have loved me. Will you stand and come? If you're lost, come accept the love of Jesus. Come pray, God, break my heart that I may love others. Come. Come to Jesus today. Bask in his love. Come to Jesus.